Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation followed by the fog light prayer. Good evening, everyone. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name's Rob. Thank you all for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in a minute, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. Uh, The coffee area is going to be closed for this portion of the meeting as to minimize distractions. And also, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. For the meditation, some suggestions are to focus on your breath and your posture. Breathe in God and breathe out self. Take this time to get reconnected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you focus on our study tonight. All right. Is everybody ready to meditate? If so, we'll take the light down. So ready. All right. Thank you. 
join us in the fog light prayer. God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. And we got a secretary at this group. It's Tanisha. Please join me in welcoming Tanisha for the secretary's report. All right. Hi, my name is Tanisha, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Tanisha. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states, every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And I've asked Eric to read the recovery statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. My name's Eric. Hey, Eric. All right, recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind, rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Eric. 1940-style Big Book Sponsorship from Forward to Second Edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sobered at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. In the back, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. Mike is in the back, ready to make a deal. I think he's sleeping. (laughs) We meet every Monday promptly at 7.15, but those servant leaders definitely show up at 5.30 to help get this place set up, and some of us show up at 6.30 to fellowship. And we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the, to begin at the Road to Recovery tune. See you next week. Thanks, Tanisha. From the forward to the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, we have Alcoholics Anonymous for more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. From There is a Solution, also from the big book, the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting, and as such, all who have an interest in alcoholism and our program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. And on the topic of anonymity, this actually this meeting is podcast on the Internet. So you could potentially be online. You will be if you speak into the mic. So if you don't want your voice broadcast, just pass that microphone along or disguise your voice really well. That would be more exciting. Can we have a show of hands of people joining us for the very first time? All right. Welcome. 
Would you like to introduce yourselves? All right, welcome. Hi, Jessica. Hello, also Jessica. Welcome. Could we please have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? All right. And yeah, while this, you want to go ahead? While this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcohol alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all each member of alcoholics anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility does anybody need a big book we have a few loners uh it's best to bring your own but we we usually we have a bunch so does anyone not have a big book in front of them okay good got it Readers did their job. So before we begin our study of the big book, normally we would review the traditions. Uh, and tonight we would be on tradition four, but we're in a little bit of a transition with our traditionists. So uh, we popped off a, a quick uh, group conscience before this. And, and it's funny because tradition four is about, you know, our group's autonomy. So we're going to use that autonomy, autonomy to skip this week and resume uh, tradition four next week once we have our new traditionists in place. Does that mean that the AA police aren't going to get us because we skipped the tradition this week? That's tradition yeah. four says they won't. Uh, yeah, they? exactly. <laughs> In order to help us stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide prepared by Joe and Charlie and Krusty Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group. All right. Today we are going to begin on one of these little Roman numerals, the forward to the second edition XI which will be read from the front by tonight's reader, Mark. Let's uh, welcome Mark up. After the page is read, we're going to ask questions from the podium, starting back at the top of the page, XI. The answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified, and multi-part questions are simply a one-sentence answer. Split up by commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. Basically, in English, what that means is that we're going to read the material once through and then re-dissect the information through a question and answer format. Uh, now, just how the language in the questions gives us a new light in which to consider that study material. This is important because hearing the question and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered, if you're paying attention. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what was just read. If you have spiritual experiences with this information, you are free to share. However, big book study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed in a different setting, like sponsorship or uh, mediation, arbitration uh, setting, please don't be offended when we cut that conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study time. Uh, you can never go wrong by commenting on the page, which brings us to the words of one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sobriety, freedom from alcohol through the teaching and practice of the 12 Steps is the sole purpose of any Alcoholics Anonymous group. And last week we, we got started with the preface and the forward to the first, the preface and the forward to the first edition. Now we're in the forward to the second edition. And uh, should, we, should we do a quick recap of, of what we read over and what, what we learned? Did we learn anything? I like it, yeah. So we, uh, we got into the, the introduction of Alcoholics Anonymous. So the, the very first people who received this book, you know, are going to get that, that forward to the first edition and the preface. And we learn a little bit about the fellowship, uh, what we're about. And we get a little bit of an introduction to the traditions if you're reading really close there. So we're going to get... Uh, more information tonight in the forwards. And for those of you who haven't joined us uh, before, this, um, you know, we didn't just randomly decide that we want to do the second, uh, forward to the second edition tonight. We're just started last week. Uh, we finished two weeks ago. We did the entire 164 
plus uh, Dr. Bob's Nightmare, and now we're restarting, and we're going to go through the entire thing again, right? So we start on page zero, and we go in our preface and our forwards, and then we'll get into the doctor's opinion and, and the rest of the book there. It's, uh, it's good to see some familiar faces, because we have some people here that have been with us since the very beginning of our journey through the big book. And it's, uh, let's keep it going. And we got our Still first... happy and sober, too. Exactly. We got our first promise last week, which was that you know, many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. So let's find out what they did tonight in the forward to the second edition. Do we want to read the white page before we do our reading? Yeah, we definitely should. All right. So we, each chapter and each of the forwards has an introduction from uh, the guys who made this here study guide. So uh, the forward to the second edition provides a brief history of the first 20 years of the creation of Alcoholics Anonymous. In this forward, Bill W. tells how, through Dr. Silkworth and the Oxford Group, he found a solution to his alcoholism. He tells how he was able to stay sober by trying to help other alcoholics. He recounts how his business venture in Akron failed and why he so desperately felt the need to find another alcoholic to talk with. This need led to his meeting with Dr. Bob, who had tried to find a way to stay sober but had failed completely. Their meeting led to two of them believing they could stay sober if they worked together. From their combined efforts to protect their sobriety by searching out and going to suffering alcoholics came a fellowship of sober alcoholics from whom came the life-saving program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the content of this book. They tell how they found the acceptance and endorsement of some of the leading citizens of our country. We learn of some of the favorable publicity this little group of sober alcoholics received from some very influential news sources, which led to a rapid growth of the fellowship. We're given a, ch- a glance at the recognition of some of the problems our founders face and how they successfully de- developed a set of guidelines for our conduct with our respective groups and within the fellowship itself, known as the 12 Traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. We learn how successful those seeking help were when, they, when, only, when the only guide they had was this big book, the basic text of our fellowship. It is very obvious that we are not doing nearly as well today because of the emphasis on meetings instead of the program. These are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. And it concludes by telling us of the hope behind the writing of this book. So without further ado, we give you Mr. Mark. I am your alcoholic reader for the night. Hey, Mark. Since the original forward... Well, forward to the second edition. Figures given in this forward describe the fellowship as it was in 1955. Since the original forward to this book was written in 1939, a wholesale miracle has taken place. Our earliest printing voiced the hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. Already, continues the next twos and threes and fives of us have sprung up in other communities. Sixteen years have elapsed between our first printing of this book and the presentation in 1955 of our second edition. In that brief space, Alcoholics Anonymous has mushroomed into nearly 6,000 groups whose membership is far above 150,000 recovered alcoholics. Groups are to be found in each of the U.S. and all the provinces of Canada. A is flourishing communities in the British Isles, the Scandinavian countries, South Africa, South America, Mexico, Alaska, Australia, and Hawaii. All told, promising beginnings have been made in some 50 foreign countries and U.S. possessions. Some are just now taking shape in Asia. Many of our friends encourage us by saying that this is but a beginning, only the augury of a much larger future ahead. The spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck at Akron, Ohio in June 1935 during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician. 
Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience. Following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of that day. He had also been greatly helped by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist in alcoholism who is now accounted no less than a medical saint by AA members, and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. From this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. Though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford group, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution of those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief in and dependence upon God. Which was the Oxford program. Prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic but he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. That alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. This physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but had failed. When the broker gave him Dr. Silkworth's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. He sobered, never to drink again up to the moment his death in 1950. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no non-alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. Permanent recovery? That sounds like something I want. Hmm. Hence the two men set to work almost frantically upon alcoholics arriving in the ward of the Akron City Hospital. Their very first case, a desperate one, recovered immediately and became A number three. He never had another drink. This work at Akron continued through the summer of 1935. There were many failures, but there was an occasional heartening success. When the broker returned to New York in the fall of 1935, the first AA group had actually been formed, though no one realized it at the time. A second small group promptly took shape at New York, to be followed in 1937 with the start of a third at Cleveland. Besides these, there were scattered alcoholics who had picked up these the basic ideas in Akron or New York who were trying to form groups in their other cities. By late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. It was now time, the struggling groups thought, to place their message and unique experience before the world. This determination bore fruit in the spring of 1939 by the publication of this volume. The membership had then reached about 100 men and women. The fledgling society, which had been nameless, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous. From the title of its own book, the flying blind period ended and AA entered a new phase of its pioneering time. With the appearance of the new book, a great deal began to happen. Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick, the noted clergyman, reviewed it with approval. In the fall of 1939, Fosson Osler, then editor of Liberty, printed a piece in his magazine called Alcoholics and God. This brought a rush of 800 frantic inquiries into the little New York office, which, meanwhile, had been established. Each inquiry was painstakingly answered. Pamphlets and books were sent out. 
Businessmen traveling out of existing groups were referred to these prospective newcomers. New groups started up, and it was found. To the astonishment of everyone, that AA's message could be transmitted in the mail as well as by word of mouth. By the end of 1939, it was estimated that 800 alcoholics were on their way to recovery. And that's where we're going to start the study. So we'll go ahead and start the questions back at the beginning of the forward of the second edition. Thank you, Mark, for, uh, for reading. And Rob, do you want to run? I see you hopping up there. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. So I'll I'll read these here questions, and then you're going to answer them with the mic or pass. All right. So we're on page XI in the skinny book, forward to the second edition, XV in the fatty patty. From the first edition to the publication of this edition, what had taken place? Since the original forward to this book was written in 1939, a wholesale miracle has taken place. What was the hope of the earliest printing? Our, our earliest printing voiced the hope that every alcoholic who, who journeys will find the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. Had this hope become a reality by 1955? Already continues the early text, twos and threes and fives have, of us have sprung up in other communities. Oh. Next paragraph. How many years passed before the second edition was published? And during that period of time, how many AA groups had been formed? How many alcoholics had recovered? Sixteen years have elapsed between our first printing of this book and the presentation in 1955 of our second edition. In that brief space, Alcoholics Anonymous has mushroomed into nearly 6,000 groups whose membership is far above 150,000 recovered alcoholics. How far had AA spread during the 16 years? Three sentences. Groups are to be found in each of the United States and all of the provinces of Canada. AA has flourished in communities in the British Isles, the Scandinavian countries, South Africa, South America, Mexico, Alaska, Australia, and Hawaii. All told promising beginnings have been made in some 50 foreign countries and U.S. possessions. What did many of our friends see ahead of our fellowship? Uh, just before that, I think some are just now taking shape in Asia. Many of our friends encourage us by saying that this is but a beginning, only the augury of a much larger future ahead. Next paragraph, we've got a three-part question. Where was the first group formed? When was the first group formed? And who are the principles of the first group? The spark that was the flare into the first AA group was struck at Akron, Ohio, in June 1935 during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician. All right, we got a comment here. The stockbroker was Bill W., and the physician was Dr. Bob S. Two-part question. How long had Bill W. been recovered, and how had Bill W. been relieved of his drinking problem? Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience. Wow. Following a meeting with an alcoholic friend, right? Who, who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of that day. Got another two-part question. What had, okay, actually, I think that was all part of it. That was, what, that was all part of that. Next question. Who else had been very helpful to the Bill's, Bill's recovery? What was Dr. Silkworth's specialty? And how do we, as a fellowship, feel about Dr. Silkworth? Where do we find his story? That's a four-parter. He had also been greatly helped by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist in alcoholism, who is now accounted no less than a medical saint by AA members, and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. What vital piece of information did Bill W. learn from this broker? From this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. 
We've got a two-parter. Could Bill accept the tenets of the Oxford Group? And what tenets could he accept? No, he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford Group. He was convinced of the need for more inventory, confessions of personal defects, restitutions of those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessary of belief in and dependence upon God. Next paragraph. What had Bill done before going to Akron? On what theory had he done this, and what were the results of his efforts? Prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic. But he had, but he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. What had happened to his business venture in Akron, and how did it affect him? He suddenly realized that in the order to save himself, he must carry his message to other alcoholics. And, uh, yeah, we skipped one there, but what, what did he find the results, were the results of his effort? That was that. That was that, okay. All right, next. That alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. Next paragraph. What had the doctor done to try to whip his drinking problem, and had it worked? This physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but had failed. What did, Dr. Bill, what did Bill tell Dr. Bob, and did that information prove helpful to Dr. Bob? But when the broker gave him Dr. Silkworth's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. How successful was Dr. Bob doing what Bill told him he had done? He sober never to drink again up to the moment of his death in 1950. What did this prove? This seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no non-alcoholic could. What other important fact did that prove? It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permit recovery. What did the two men do? Hence, the two men set to work almost frantically upon alcoholics arriving in the ward of the Akron City Hospital. What happened with their first case? Two sentences. Their very first case, the desperate one, recovered immediately and became AA number three. He had never had another drink. Of all all the times we've said that in our intro, no one has done it until now. (laughs) That's amazing. Did did they quit with that success? Well done. This work at Akron continued through the summer of 1935. Were they extremely successful with others? There were many failures, but there was an occasional heartening success. When did Bill return home, and what had happened that he and Dr. Bob were unaware of? When the broker returned to New York in the fall of 1935, the first AA group had actually been formed, though no one realized it at the time. All right, we got a comment here, and it says, in some copies of the big book, the following paragraph is actually broken into two paragraphs. Where that is the case, the first paragraph begins as follows. By late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. And in that version, the second paragraph reads, a small group had promptly taken shape at New York. And besides, there were scattered alcoholics who had picked up the basic ideas in Akron or New York and were trying to form AA groups in other cities. So uh, that's that comment. It talks about the differences between those two versions. And we're on to the next paragraph with questions. Where was the second AA group formed, and where and when and where was the third group formed? 
A second small group promptly took shape, took shape at New York to be followed in 1937 with the start of a third at Cleveland. Were there groups being formed elsewhere? Besides these, these no, wait. Besides these, there were scattered alcoholics who had picked up the basic ideas in Akron or New York who were trying to form groups in other cities. When did the sober alcoholics realize they had something really worthwhile? By late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. Next paragraph. What did they believe it was time to do? It was now time, the struggling groups thought, to place their message and unique experience before the world. What did their determination produce? This determination bore fruit in the spring of 1939 by the publication of this volume. How many sober alcoholics were there at that time? The membership had then reached about 100 men and women. Where did the name for the fellowship come from? It's at the bottom of X triple I in the skinny mini version. That's not how you say Roman numerals, I'm aware. (laughs) The fledgling society, which had been nameless, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous from the title of its own book. Did they realize they had a new road ahead? The flying blind period ended and AA entered a new phase of its pioneering time. I like that voice. It's mysterious. New paragraph. What happened when this book appeared? With the appearance of the new book, a great deal began to happen. Dr. Harry Emerson Flossdick, the noted clergyman, reviewed it with approval. Okay, and, and actually that was part of the question. Yeah, okay. Next question. What happened in the fall of 1939? What results did that, did that produce, and where had Alcoholics Anonymous established an office? In the fall of 1939, Fulton Ars- Arsley then editor of Liberty, printed a piece in his magazine called Alcoholics and God. This brought a rush of 800 fanatic inquiries into this little New York office, which, meanwhile, had been established. And for those of you that don't know, Alcoholics and God is the name of the Thursday night meeting here downstairs, the step series. How many inquiries were answered, and how were they answered? Each inquiry was painstakingly answered. Pamphlets and books were sent out. Businessmen traveling out of their existing groups were referred to those prospective newcomers. How else were the inquiries handled? Wait, all right. Yeah, we skipped one. We got to okay. go down. I'll just do them both. Um, what businessmen traveling out of existing groups were referred to these prospects as newcomers. What were the AAs uh, surprised to learn? All right. Yeah. New groups started up, and it was found, to the astonishment of everyone, that AA's message could be transmitted in the mail as well as by word of mouth. How many alcoholics were on their way to recovery by the end of 1939? By the end of 1939, it was estimated that 800 alcoholics were on their way to recovery. All right, and that's the end of the portion we read so far. So the page is open for comment. Does anybody have uh, experience with, with any of this material? Anybody reading it for the first time? we got a hand up here. Yeah. My name is John, Recovered Alcoholic. Hey, John. <clears throat> um, I kind of had a similar story to Bill's here on uh, where it said the broker had gone to Akron on a business venture which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. 
Um, he, suddenly real, he suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. Uh, I had that experience this weekend, and um, it was pretty amazing. Like, I went on this trip to go make some money and wound up not making any money, and I was, like, all in fear that I wasn't going to be able to do anything um, worthwhile to pay my bills and all that stuff. And I found this kid, one of the guy, top salesmen over there in Pensacola, where the company that I was going to start, when I'm going to start working for, um, he's an alcoholic. He's 22 years old. He makes $23,000 a month, and uh, he's, he's a mess. And I sat in the car with him, and I was like, hey, like, what's your deal? Like, why are you trying to hide shit? And it was just, and he just broke down. He put all his walls down, and he told me and uh, that he was not comfortable with himself. And uh, it was just pretty, it was pretty cool. Um, I found out later that that was my purpose of going on that trip was to help this kid. And um, it, made the whole worth, it made the whole trip worthwhile. And um, I just, uh, and I feel like that has to relate with uh, God's will being done. And, and basically, uh, sometimes God uses us for, uh, for things that are unexpected, at least for what, not what we expect things to be done, or the way that th- we expect things to be done. And, um, and yeah. Um, I said I just thought it was pretty cool because I could relate to Bill's story, and that's it. Thanks for sharing. We got another hand up right here. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Um, so last week we kind of talked a little bit about how like God shows up on on the pages of the forwards, um, and there's a couple instances of that here as well um you know when bill's talking about going on his journey to akron for for a business trip um i think the important thing to keep in mind here is that at the time of this he was only six months sober um and he talks about like this this business venture collapsing um and i we we read later on in in uh what is it a, a vision for you um, when he's talking about this this situation he's standing in the lobby of the hotel and on one side of the lobby is a bar and on the other side of the lobby is a telephone. Um, and, I mean, I know where I would be going at six months sober, would not be over to the telephone looking for another alcoholic to work with. Um, but that's not what happened here, you know, and that's how Bill goes and meets Dr. Bob, and that's why we're sitting here tonight. Um, so, I, you know, I, that stuff just keeps popping up throughout these pages. Um, and then, like they go do they go do their thing, meet Bill Dotson, and eventually, like we have Clarence Snyder popping up with his first his first group in Cleveland. Who, you know, like that's the guy that gets us going through the book the way that we go through the book now. Um, you know, it's just it's all over these pages, and I think that if you really pay attention, that like you can find God on these pages. So that's why I love these forwards, and I'm glad that we read them. So thank you. Thanks for thank sharing. You. So we're going to learn in the next segment of the book uh, the doctor's opinion about what the disease is and what the mental obsession is. And, and here we have this kind of foreshadowing, which is that six months before meeting Dr. Bob, Bill, Bill Wilson had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience. And that is something um, that always catches people's attention when I, when I read it with them the first time. It's like, wait, what? He was relieved of his obsession to drink by a sudden spiritual experience. Does anyone have experience with, with that? And, and some people, you know, it says later in spiritual experience, sometimes it's a gradual thing. Sometimes it's an educational variety, and we don't even notice that we've changed. And our friends and family notice the difference long before we are aware of it ourselves. And uh, with Bill, though, his was sudden, spectacular, and, uh, 
And, and that actually was enough for him to not drink and have the clarity to see that he was going to drink if he went to that bar, and so he went to help another alcoholic instead. Yeah, all throughout the book, it, it says it over and over, like, work with another alcoholic saves the day when everything else fails, and, and we see it here over and over. What I think is interesting, too, that um, I think is worth noting, it, it begins the forward to the second edition saying that, you know, what is it, 16 years have elapsed between our first printing of this book and the presentation in 1955, and it says 150,000 recovered alcoholics in 16 years. But then it goes on to talk about, so they, Dr. Rob and Bill met in 1935 and formed AA, although they didn't know it, in 1935, and then in four years, they had the printing of this book, which was 100 recovered men and women. Right, and then they print this book. And if you look at like the archivists, sometimes they're like, "Well, it wasn't really a hundred; it was sixty-seven. And but like, the point being, it took four years for them to get that many people recovered through the Oxford Group program, essentially that was occurring, which was kind of like, uh, it's not what we have today. And uh, I think you know, Dr. Bob was really good at his magic, but you know, they hadn't written this yet. And then in uh, thirty-nine, they write this, and then it says by the end of that first year, they had. 800 recovered alcoholics because of the introduction of the book because you get these groups that are like okay cool like we don't know what kind of magic dr bob and bill were doing uh but let's just read this book and do what it tells us to do right and then 16 years later that 800 turns into 150,000. right so we see the power that this book has if we just do what it tells us to do which is pretty amazing it sure is and yeah, I mean, it's always amazing to me when we get to, to this point in it. But uh, it said the flying blind. Yeah, we got Alan here. Alan. <laughs> I'm excited. It's more of a question than anything else. And I hadn't thought about it until uh, we were reading this tonight. And when uh, Bill W. <coughs> was at the Mayflower, I'm from Akron, Ohio. I know that area very well. At the Mayflower Hotel. He jumped through hoops. The only thing I can think of, it was uh, there had to be some divine intervention there because Bill W. in New York was famous for going into bars and picking people, pulling people off bar stools and trying to get them uh, sober. He didn't do it in Akron. And the Mayflower Hotel is surrounded by a lot of working men bars <clears throat> and two hospitals nearby, uh, Akron City, which it mentioned in here, and St. Thomas Hospital, just a few miles up the street. He could have gone into those hospitals at the drunk ward and worked with them. He didn't. He could have gone to the nearby bars and worked with alcoholics, but he didn't. And he got that list from a minister. There were 10, 10 phone numbers on there, I think. And he, he was running out of dimes, nickels, or whatever it cost for the pay phones back then. Buffalo nickel. And he didn't get a... Uh, that's he didn't get a uh, response until the 10th number. And then he got a hold of uh, Henrietta Cyberling, who got a hold of Dr. Uh, Bob. But Dr. Bob was so hungover, he couldn't meet with Bill W. on that day, which was Saturday, the Saturday before Mother's Day. And they didn't get together until the next day, uh, Sunday, Mother's Day. And so Bill W. had to jump through a lot of hoops in order to meet with uh, Dr. Bob. Uh, and I hadn't thought about that before. Normally, 
he would have just taken the easy way out, I guess. Uh, but he didn't uh, on that occasion in Akron. So why? Anybody's guess. Uh, all I can think of it was he was inspired by something. He was he was inspired by something that he normally wasn't inspired by because he had he had done it he had done it the easier way before. This he really had to jump through hoops in order to meet with Dr. Bob. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, we got we got the easy way of pulling somebody off a bar stool, and then there were Oxford groups too. He could have just gone to an Oxford group meeting and shared, but he felt really compelled to work with another alcoholic, and that's that's big, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a good point you bring up. And when you look at all the other things that had to happen leading up to that point for for that strange occurrence, like you said, like he could have done all these other things, but instead he goes down this list of names and eventually they connect. But when you look at like, you know, Roland Hazard. You know, when he was looking to get um, treatment for his alcoholism, he really wanted to work with Freud, I believe it was at the time, right? So if he would have gotten connected with Freud, he probably would have said, well, you got some mommy issues and this and that. And, you know, she probably sat you on the toilet backwards as a kid or whatever that looked like, right? But for whatever reason, Freud wasn't available to work with him. So he got Carl Jung, who was a much more spiritually uh, aligned um, psychologist. And then what would have happened... You know, they talk about the story with Roland Hazard. Is there no other solution? And because he was working with Jung, he said, well, from time to time, every once in a while, these crazy alcoholics have what's known as a spiritual experience. Well, if Freud, Freud wouldn't have said that. And he says, wait, cool. And so he brings that back to Evie Thatcher, who happens to be a friend of Bill W. So it's like crazy, all the little dots that connect throughout the history to bring them to another crazy, like you said, maybe just divine intervention that, you know, he didn't do what he was doing for the past six months. And instead, he went down this list and, and found who he was supposed to find. So pretty awesome. Anyone else feel like sharing on this? Has anybody ever sponsored somebody or been sponsored not out of the big book? You know, you know what that you know what that's like. I, I had a little bit of experience with that, and it's it's like it says here the flying blind period ended. Why? Because they published the book, so I can go back into flying blind if I'm away from the book, if I'm not in the book. And uh, yeah, flying blind. I, I'm not a pilot, so I'm, I'm no expert on on flying. Yeah, but it, you, you probably don't want to be blind if you're flying, right? So. <laughs> Very cool. We can Might, probably get a little bit, a couple sure. more pages if no one else. Should we? Okay, yeah. Yeah. We got time. Why not? All right, so let's pick it up uh, where we left off there. There, a way to recovery on XIV in the abridged in the spring of 1940. We'll just do a short one. The spring of 1940. Oop, here, you can take oh. this or that, either one. one turn me off, it seems. In the spring of 1940, John D. Rockefeller Jr. gave a dinner for many of his friends to which he invited A members to tell their stories. News of this got on the world wires. Inquiries poured in again, and many people went to the bookstores to get the book Alcoholics Anonymous. By March 1941, the membership had shot up to 2,000. Then Jack Alexander wrote a feature article in the Saturday Evening Post and placed such a compelling picture of AA before the general public that alcoholics in need of help really deluged us. By the close of 1941, AA numbered 8,000 members. The mushrooming process was in full swing. AA had been a national become a national institution. Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. The test that it faced was this. 
Could these large numbers of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? Would there be strivings for power and prestige? Would there be schisms which would split AA apart? Soon AA was beset by these very problems on every side and in every group. But out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, the conviction grew that AAs had to hang together or die separately. We had to unify our fellowship or pass off the seam. As we discovered the principles by which the individual alcoholic could live, so we had to evolve principles by which the AA groups and AA as a whole could survive and function effectively. It was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society, that our leaders might serve but never govern, that each group was to be autonomous and there was to be no professional class of therapy, there were to be no fees or dues. Our expenses were to be met by our own voluntary contributions. There was to be the least possible organization, even, if our, even in our service centers. Our public relations were to be based upon attraction rather than promotion. It was decided that all members ought to be anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. And in no circumstances should we give endorsements, make alliances, or enter public controversies. This was the substance of AA's 12 traditions, which are stated in full on page 561 or 177 of this book. Though none of these principles had the force of rules or laws, they had become so widely accepted by 1950 that they were confirmed by our first international conference held at Cleveland. Today, the remarkable unity of AA is one of the greatest assets that our society has. All right, we're going to stop there. And uh, pick up our question and answer again. What happened in the spring of 1940? In the spring of 1940, John D. Rockefeller Jr. gave a dinner for many of his friends, to which he invited AA members to tell their stories. What was the result of this dinner? News of this got, got on the world wires. Inquiries, inquiries poured in again, and many people went to bookstores to get the book Alcoholics Anonymous. What was the estimated membership in March 1941? By March 1941, the membership had shot up to 2,000. Who wrote an article about AA in March 1941, and what were the results of this article? Then Jack Alexander wrote a feature, feature article in the Saturday Evening Post and placed such a compelling picture of AA before the general public that alcoholics in need of help really del deluged us. By the end of 1941, how many members were there? By the close of 1941, AA numbered 8,000 members. Was Alcoholics Anonymous now a recognized entity? Two sentences. The, the mushrooming process was in full swing. AA had become a national institution. Next paragraph. What period did we then enter? Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. What test did we face? <clears throat> The test that it faced was this. Could these large numbers of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? What was the second question? Will there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? What was the third question? Would there be strivings for power and prestige? What was the fourth question? Would there be schisms which... Would split AA apart? Were these concerns valid? Soon AA was best 
by those very problems on every side and in every group. What conviction came from this period? But out of this frightening, frightening and at the first disruption experience of conviction grew that AA had to hang together or die separately. What did they realize they must do? We had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. All right, next paragraph. What did the principles for which they were searching produce? And the answer to this question includes the entire paragraph. As we discovered the principles by which the individual alcoholic could live, so we had to evolve principles by which the AA group, groups and AA as a whole could survive and function effectively. It was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society, that our leaders might serve but never govern, that each group was to be autonomous and there was to be no professional class of therapy. There were to be no fees or dues. Our expenses were to be met by our own voluntary contributions. There was to be the least possible organization, even in our service centers. Our public <clears throat> relations were to be based upon attraction rather than promotion. It was decided that all members ought to be anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and film. And in no circumstances should we ever should we give endorsements, make alliances, or enter public controversies. Thank you, Kyle. I heard a little Chicago at the end there. Where in this book do we find these life-saving principles? This was the substance of AA's 12 traditions, which are stated in full on page 561 of this book. Did these prove to be laws, and did the fellowship approve of them? Though none of these principles had the force of rules or laws, they had become so widely accepted by 1950 that they were confirmed by our first international conference held at Cleveland. What is one of our greatest assets? Today, the remarkable unity of AA is one of the greatest assets that our society has. All right. Page is open for comment. Does anybody uh, have anything to share about what we've read? <clears throat> yeah, again, what sticks out to me is, you know, we talked about the four years with 100 alcoholics, one year with 800, and the second year was 8,000 recovered alcoholics. And uh, with the... The uh, great technology that we have today, you're, you know, we talk a lot about being recovered in this group, and we have the recovered statement, or, you know, people want to get into these recovered, recovering debates, and it's, you know, whether or not it's semantics or not. But technology, you can actually search in your little smarty phone there and search for the word recover or recovered and see how many times it shows up, and then search for recovering, see how many times that shows up. Does anyone know the answer? Recovering, how many times? Just a couple. One. Tanner got it. He's got the technologies. Yeah, one time. I think it's either working with others or the family afterward. It says if your man is just starting, uh, just recovering at first, you know, it's like making a start in his program. You know, he may not blah, 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 right? But uh -huh. here, as soon as, you know, we get to the title page of the book, how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism, you know, and already through the forwards and the preface, you know, we're, we see that word over and over and over again. Um, but still we hear these things, grateful, recovering, alcoholic. I don't want to be recovering forever, personally. No. That sounds awful. Like, I like being recovered. It's, it's much better this way. Happy, joyous, and free, right? Uh, we'll always have this disease of alcoholism, but today it's not the same as 
when I first got here. Maybe I was recovering when I first got here and showed up to a meeting, and that was uncomfortable AF, as the kids say. Um, yeah, yeah, I couldn't stand being in my own skin. That first 30 days was minute to minute, hour to hour day at a time. Um, yeah, I don't salivate when I look at the wine aisle at Publix anymore. Yeah, no. <laughs> How did I end up here? Oh. Yeah. Anyone else care to comment on these pages? Mr. Ryan. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm still alcoholic. Um, I just really like the way that Bill writes some of this. Like you know, on the last page, we read about how, when he was talking about the book coming out and how the fledgling society, which had been nameless, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous. And then, when what we were just reading uh, was that our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. And he talks about like all the stuff, the stuff that could tear us apart. And like it's almost like you think about what happens in adolescence. You go through puberty, and I feel like that's what our group was doing at that time. You know. Like, I think it's me. <laughs> um, Speaking of puberty. But then it starts to break down in this, in this last paragraph that we had read the, the traditions. Um, and the one that always sticks out to me was that it was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society, uh, which gives us our third tradition about um, you know, just having a desire to stop drinking is what makes you a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and it just, like, something that I think about when, when I kind of talk about this with sponsees is, like, you know, like, what's going on, like, at the time in the world during, like, when this is happening. So we're looking at what, like, 1955 is when this came out. And, like, I mean, like, civil rights was a big thing back then. You've got, you've got people trying to come into meetings and then other people saying, no, those people can't be here. And mm. it's, it's just really interesting to me to think about that kind of stuff, about, like, why, why do we have these traditions that we have today? And, like, today we don't really... Like, you know, like, we go through a tradition every week at the beginning of our meeting, but how often do we sit around and think about the traditions at, at the meetings? You know, like, what do they actually mean to us? But, like, they, to them, like, it, it definitely, like, they needed these to stay alive. Um, so, I mean, I, it just makes me appreciate them a little bit more. So, yeah. That's what I got. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. If you're not sitting around thinking about the traditions, you should get a spouse. <laughs> that's what, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a, a darker way to put it, but I've heard someone say uh, the um, the the steps keep us from suicide, and the traditions keep us from homicide, and the concepts keep us from genocide. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> but that's yeah, I know, right? A little dark, but uh, no, I you know the traditions are very alive uh, in my marriage, and they have to be, or else that that second one might occur. Yes, yeah. homicide. Wow. Oh. I, I just listened to uh, Doc. <laughs> Doc is going to be doing our step series on Thursday night starting in January, and Doc has a fantastic series where he talks about each of the traditions uh, for one hour. Actually, he spends two full-hour sessions on Tradition 3. There's, it's a 13-week session, and it's, uh, it's pretty rad. It is very rad. That is a good word for it. You're bringing it back. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, if there's no other comments... Very cool. We have a good way to close here. So from A Vision for You, page 164 of our big book, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourselves to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. 
Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of this group uh, for group member sponsors or anyone uh, who's a member of AA to introduce their new sponsees and embarrass them by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. Is there anyone that would like to introduce a new member of the family tonight? All right, we got one. Here we go. Mic's on. Thank you. Um, Okay, I met Matt two months ago. This is Matt. Um, He's been coming to Thursday night meeting. Thanks again for the rides. Um, he came up to me two months ago, and he's like, uh, hey, uh, can you sponsor me? I said, yeah, we do it kind of intense, you know? And, like, this guy shows up on time before me. He's dedicated, man, so uh, get to know him because uh, he he's hungry for this. So, nice. Welcome. Does he say something? No. Right. When he gets a year, definitely. Anyone else want to introduce a new sponsee? Very cool. Is there anyone celebrating a year or more of sobriety tonight that would like a medallion? All right. Come back next week. All right. Is there anyone that is in need of a big book sponsor? You can raise your hand. If you're too shy, feel free to grab any group member afterwards. Uh, And if you would like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting to fill out a membership card and give a blood sample. Can all uh, home group members please raise your hands? Everyone that's going to help us tear down tonight. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you for joining us tonight. We hope to see you next week. Uh, Thursday evening is our Alcoholics and God Step Series workshop, as we read about tonight, starting at 7.15 downstairs in the big room. And please wait until you're 75 feet away from the church doors to smoke or vape. All right, we have a great way to close with the Lord's Prayer while seated. Let's have a moment of silence. Our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Heart is heavy, shoulders thirsty, body's aching. I am desperately in need of restoration. These possessions that I have 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
lifted See the light Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night And I dream now Yeah, I dream now And everything's alright <laughs> Oh, man Going on 10 years old, that song is God bless I love you, Mike Chase Bye
Just won't set me free. Well, clap your hands if you leave me, too. 